and uh, we're looking forward to opening the Word of God together. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter number 6, and uh, we're going to continue back into our series on the church uh, this morning, and as I was pondering of where to go, uh, the first thought I had was maybe we ought to do something different since we're having to do it in a little different format. But then um, as I began to consider where to go, I decided we would go back just to the book of Acts and jump back into our series. I think there's a lot that needs to be covered in this, and um, I'm hoping to wrap this series up in just a few more weeks. I appreciate Pastor Caleb working with me on this and helping uh, to communicate the importance of the local church. Um, you know, and I, as we stand here this morning and not being able to gather in person, um, it is definitely a grief to my heart to have to be able to uh, go back virtually. It's not necessarily uh, the first thing I want to go to when something like this goes down. Our hope is to be able to uh, distance for a little bit and then uh, hit the restart button and get back to doing what we've been doing. We're so thankful for your patience with us. And as I've said a dozen times over the last eight, nine months now, that um, I understand that there are people on both sides of the spectrum. There's people out there, you're like, ah, pastor, it's no big deal. Uh, we're all going to get it anyway, and just let's just get together. And then there's people on the other side of the spectrum, no, 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 pastor, this is a dangerous thing, and you need to be more careful. And I understand that. Let me just encourage you both to have grace for one another and have patience with the leadership of the church. As the pastors and the deacons met, uh, we did so kind of in a hurried moment on Thursday evening and sat down and got our thoughts together. And this is a decision we came up with, and we released the notice, I think, on Friday evening. And then on Saturday, you got the word. And so it's kind of moved pretty quickly. Uh, we'll pray for those. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to reach out to the church office tomorrow. Uh, just call us after 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, we're in the process of getting uh, the phone system uh, transferred over to a cell phone so we can get that information. And so give us a few hours to get that done. And give us a call tomorrow if you have any questions. You can always call me directly or email me. And my uh, email is on the church website. And so if you found your place in the book of Acts, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. And if you would like to join me and stand together as we read this, we're going to read down through verse number 7 this morning. Acts chapter number 6, verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, is not, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Taman, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. When they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading of the word of God. And Lord, so often we come to this moment acknowledging the fact that we cannot do this apart from you. And Lord, I pray, Father, this morning as uh, those at home are uh, watching online and the few that are here in the room this morning, that, Father, you would give us a heart to hear the word of God. Uh, Lord, we pray, Father, that we would understand, that we'd meditate upon it and apply it uh, to the life of our church. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask this. 
Amen. You can be seated if you've turned with me to the book of Acts. I want to give you kind of a context of where we are in the book of Acts. The church has just, uh, in its infant stages, has taken root and begins to spread in the city of Jerusalem. And the church is going forward with the gospel ministry and it's really exploding in number. Uh, We see these numbers taking off on the day of Pentecost alone, 3,000 people are saved. And these people are being added to the church very quickly and uh, converts are coming. Uh, And so Satan has done his dead level best to discourage the church, to get the church off track. As a matter of fact, he's used persecution and he will use persecution again to get the church off track. Uh, He's tried sin from within the church, and the sin within the church when Ananias and Sapphira had uh, lied to the Holy Spirit to get the church off track. And of course, the Spirit of God is dealing with them. Uh, These apostles that are leading the church have been beaten. Uh, They've been cast in prison. Uh, They've been maligned in their community. And now we find Satan trying conflict from within the church to stop the church from going forward. Now what we have here is uh, widely accepted as the first understanding of what would be the office of a deacon. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning primarily, is this role of how the office of a deacon was birthed. Now, when we get into church polity, it's probably not one of the most exciting topics of of discussion that you could pick to talk about on a Sunday morning. And yet, I think it is very important for the health of the church that we understand where it comes from. And these things are not disconnected from our daily life and our, our daily workings of what we have to deal with. Now, as a, as a means of introduction, let me give you two things I want you to see this morning. First off, there's only two offices that we see in the local New Testament church. And as we look at our church polity and where I stand as I study the scripture, I see two offices. I see the office of a pastor and the office of a deacon. Now, we see other terms used in the uh, New Testament. And uh, you might possibly throw an office of the apostle in there, but that office is now closed uh, with the death of the apostles and Paul himself. Uh, I do not believe that is an active office within the church today. Uh, But we see that currently we operate under the premise of the idea of a pastor and a deacon. Now we see three terms, I believe, that refer interchangeably to a pastor. And just for the sake of giving a little bit of background to it, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter very quickly. In 1 Peter chapter 5, you're going to see these terms uh, mentioned together in the same place and referring of the same person. Um, And the three terms that we see in the New Testament that refer to the office of pastor are elder, bishop, and pastor. Those three terms are used interchangeably here and in other places, but I'm using this as our proof text this morning Look what he says in verse number five, or verse number one of chapter five of First Peter. He said, "The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder." And this is Peter writing here. Peter claims to be an elder himself, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And here we see it: feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. So what do we see here? We see the three terms are mentioned in their function in this text. First off, we see the the term elder mentioned to us. Uh, Peter claimed that he was an elder, and he called those that were elders there. The word elder is the idea of someone who is seasoned, 
Um, the tradition comes out of the Old Testament, when the Old Testament had elders that led uh, in the, the uh, nation of Israel and would uh, offer guidance. And then we also see that tradition carried over into the synagogue. There would be elders as well that led there. This is season, counsel, wisdom. These are the words that are associated with el elder. And then he says this, he said, I want you to do something in verse number two, feed the flock. And now we see the picture of a pastor. And the word pastor is what's in view here because he's giving the role of shepherding. And that is literally what pastor means. It means to shepherd the flock. It means the idea of a gentle care of guiding and correcting and leading and feeding the flock of God. Uh, when Jesus was walking with Peter there before his ascension, he looked at Peter. He said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And he says, yea, Lord, you know I love thee. And he said, feed my sheep. And on three occasions, he commissioned him to pastor the people. And that's what he was called to do. And here again, we see elders are called to pastor. And then the very next term we see, of whom the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers. And he said, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. And there we see the next word, and that word is presbyteros, or bishop, or overseer. And so when we go to the book of 1 Timothy and we, we talk about the classic requirements for a pastor and a deacon, and we look at that chapter, what we see is the word bishop here, or the one that is the overseer. He said, if a man desire the office of an overseer or desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. And so those are the terms that are put together that describe the role and the function of what we currently in Western culture call a pastor. And so as a pastor this morning, uh, God should have us being one that cares for the flock, that is feeding the flock of God, that is an overseer, that is an elder. And so the Bible even says in the, in the uh, requirements of a pastor and a deacon that they be not someone who is new to this, that is not a, uh, a novice is the word used of pastors. We're not to be a novice, it's to be someone who knows the word of God and has some experience in this area. And so these are the things that we see, pastor, bishop, elder. But then the word deacon. The uh, word deacon actually is only mentioned three times. It's only translated as deacon uh, on three occasions. Uh, the word is used on many other occasions. But the word literally means to serve. It means to be a servant. Uh, it means someone who would come alongside of and serve. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was at the Last Supper and he girded on the cloth and began to wash their feet, we get the picture of our Lord deaconing. He is serving. He is laboring alongside of. And what we see here in the book of Acts is the birthing, I believe, of the office of deacon. And as it comes into view, I think we get some good instruction for us. I want you to look a few things that we see about this. Uh, first of all, I want you to see the term Grecians in our text. So I'm back in Acts 6 right now. And he said, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Now, who are we talking about here? Well, it's important to remember that by the time we get to chapter 6 in Acts, uh, the church has not gone to the Gentiles yet. It is still going only to the Jews and the Jews are hearing the gospel, and they're believing the gospel, and they're repenting and coming to faith. So who are these uh, Grecians? These are people that are Greek-speaking Jews. These are what we call the Hellenist Jews. They were people that lived abroad and maybe have traveled back to Jerusalem, and they spoke Greek. And so because of their language and their different cultures that they grew up in, there was a division between these groups of people. 
And so these Greek-speaking Jews were there in Jerusalem, in the church now, and there was a tension between the Jews, uh, or the Hebrew-speaking, and the Greek-speaking Jews. And so this tension arises. Now I want you to see three things about the office of a deacon. Uh, First off, the office of a deacon is necessitated by growth. How many of you understand that when a church is going forward and people are being saved, that there's always going to be opportunities that arise? Always going to be uh, conflicts, uh, things that need to be cared for, logistical issues that arise. Uh, you're not going to put together a, a worship set like we do on a Sunday morning or put together a children's ministry or put together uh, a, an Awanas program or put together a Bible studies and, and all the things that go on. And literally we could, we could talk all afternoon about the different areas and the logistic things that happen just in our church alone of getting a week's programs done. You're not going to do that without conflict. And I think too often what we try to do is we try to figure out a way to avoid conflict. And I don't know that that's necessarily the call of believers. I think the call of the believers is to be obedient to the Lord. And when conflict arises, we address it. That when, when logistical issues adri- arise, we address it. You know, I don't think that when you run into a conflict, it's time to panic. I think when you run into a conflict, it's maybe time to pray. God, give us some wisdom of how to handle this conflict. Help us walk in a right way. Uh, I have a phrase that we've been using lately, and I got it from a friend of mine, John Opaluski, and I love this phrase. He said it's not original with him, but he said, don't give a $100 response to a $5 problem. I like that. Don't give a $100 response to a $5 problem. It's not always necessary to go up in arms when things don't go right. It might be good to sit down, take a note of it. And many times on a Sunday morning, I'll sit over here and during a service, something will happen and I'll write a note down that needs to be addressed later. But when conflict comes, it ought to be a reminder that somebody's moving somewhere. Because friction happens when there's growth. And so this call for deacons to step out was necessitated by growth. Not only is it necessitated by growth, it's defined by roles. The role of the deacon was very clear. Here they were to care for the administration of the widows. So what is this conflict? We'll look at that in just a moment, and we'll look at these roles and how they're broke out in a moment. But God gives specific roles to deacons, and Peter, claiming to be an elder, had a role as well, and those roles were to be led in. Now, here's the reality. We're not saying one is more important than the other. We're saying they have different roles. And those roles were given by God to the church for the edification of the body, and then they were chosen by a process. Uh, He says to the people there, I want you to choose out from among you these seven men who would be filled with the Holy Ghost and they would be wise men and they'd be careful men to make good decisions. And he says, and we will appoint them to the work. I love that picture here. What we see is the congregation working together as a spirit-filled group of people, selecting men, and then the apostles or the elders that were there in that church of Jerusalem laid hands on them and delegated work to them to accomplish. And that's the role that we have functioning in our church today. The deacons are called out from the people to serve the people under the direction of the pastors. And we see that happening in the New Testament. And so let's look this morning at our text as we walk through it. I want you to see the growth of the church. With growth comes conflict, and it is unavoidable. Conflict gives us a chance this morning to hide or to learn. When conflict comes, we can either hide from conflict or we can learn from conflict. And I think too often we hide from conflict. You see, you cannot separate any part of the work from the spiritual battle. 
there is always a spiritual element because you and I as individuals are spiritual individuals. And so anything that we have conflict with, there's always a spiritual element to the conflict. Conflict is always a part of the spiritual battle. Well, if that person just wouldn't, you know, pop their gum when they walk down the hallway, that wouldn't aggravate me. Ultimately, there's still a spiritual element to the fact that you're aggravated by it. Now, we don't like to examine the fact, but here's the reality. When somebody is rubbing me wrong, it may be a good time for me to ask why I'm being rubbed wrong. Why is it bothering me so much? Why is my patient level so low? Now, I want you to see the conflict. There was a murmuring among the Grecians. Now, as we look at this, let's read it again. Uh, verse number one, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, they arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. What do we have reference to here? We have reference to those who were widows in that day who had no means of caring for themselves and the church had taken on the caring for these widows to meeting their need from a common uh, collection and they were meeting the needs of widows. And in the meeting of those needs, what was happening is those that were on the outside in the Greek-speaking culture were being neglected. Now, that's not a good thing. As a matter of fact, what we have here is a very serious concern. We have a concern uh, that could even be looked at and implied that there was a bad motive behind it. Well, you don't like us because we're not of the same culture. You don't like us because we speak Greek, and that's why you're ignoring us. And so this murmuring arises from the midst they were being neglected, and I think there was almost an implied intent. Why are we being neglected? Why are the Hebrew-speaking getting their needs met and the Greek-speaking are not? Now, I do not think that they confronted the issue in a responsible manner. I don't think they went and they decided to, hey, let's get this thing uh, worked out in a Christ-like way. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us they didn't handle it right. There was a murmuring that rose, a murmuring. A murmuring is an often thing that happens inside a local church when people begin to talk and there's a problem here and there's a problem there and, well, I didn't like that. Did you hear about this? And this murmuring begins to rise. Let me say this. The murmuring is never a good way to handle a conflict. As a matter of fact, we go to Philippians chapter 2.14. He says, do all things without murmurings or disputing. So they were murmuring about what was going on. Now, let me just say a couple of things. When you see conflict arise, don't assume just because somebody's murmuring about it that it's not a legitimate conflict. It very well may be a legitimate conflict. I think this was an illegitimate issue that needed to be addressed. And we'll see when the apostles address it that they don't dismiss it. They address it as a legitimate concern. But they're murmuring about this. Let me say this. Step into confronting the issue and confront those who can affix the issue or address the issue. Here's the thing. When there is a conflict and you take the conflict to somebody who can't solve the problem, you have started in the, into the vein of murmuring, not conflict addressing. Who can deal with the problem? Who can address the problem? Go to that person who can address the problem and come to them. Here's the reality. Uh, husbands, if you don't like the way your wife cooks, you might need to talk to her. It's not going to do any good to talk to somebody down the road. Uh, if you don't like the way your husband does something at the house, you might need to talk to him. It's not going to do any good to talk to the ladies in your pew of what you don't like about it. Go to the person who has the problem and address them. And by the way, we're told to do this. If you have ought against your brother, Jesus tells us, go to your brother. 
Go to him and address what's going on there and let the problem be dealt with there. So the conflict is arising. I want you to see the response of the apostles. Then the twelve called the multitude unto them and said, what do they do first? They said, okay guys, let's get together. Let's put everybody in the same room and let's talk about this. They address the conflict. It is straightforward. They're not dodging it. They're not defensive. Matter of fact, they validate it as a legitimate concern. This is a legitimate concern, they said. Let me say this. Just because the communication of the problem is mishandled doesn't mean it's not a problem. We still, as leadership and as a church, just because somebody comes off hot at me and they say something they don't like doesn't mean they don't have a legitimate concern. And it takes some wisdom and some patience to pick that apart and say, okay, now how do I separate the means of communicating from the substance of what's been communicated? And that's always very important. I challenge us even in our own relationships when sometimes our children come to us and they're maybe hot about something they don't like. It's very easy for us to go, well, when you get your attitude straightened out, I'll talk to you about it. Instead of saying, all right, I hear what you're saying. I don't like how you're saying it but let me see if I can understand where you're coming from. And have some patience to address it. They call them together and they begin to address the conflict. See, conflict in any area of life is not a reason to surrender or to give up or to panic, but rather it is, it is time to call all of our training to mind and engage the battle in a Christ-like way. That's what we're called to do. You see, a godly church is not a church without conflict, but it is one that handles the conflict in a Christ-like way. <laughs> we want to handle it in a way that would bring honor and glory to God, not in a way that just brings pride or winning to ourselves. And so the conflict, the response of the apostles here, uh, he said, we do think this is a problem that needs to be addressed, but it is not big enough a problem for us to stop doing the main thing. We still have a main purpose and a main goal here. Look what he says in verse number uh, two. He says, uh, verse number two, he said, and the twelve called the multitude, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. He said, we have a calling. There is an administration that needs to happen here. There is some service that needs to happen, but he says, here's the calling. We've been called to uh, preach the word. We've been called to prayer and the ministry of the word, and now we're going to call out some men to do these other things as well. You see, let me say this. If sin within could not stop these men, if beatings from without could not stop these men, then murmurings of the people was not going to stop them either. They had a purpose. And I remind you, church, over and over again, let's keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing, the plain thing. And the main thing is never building up infrastructure and logistical policies. The main thing is getting the gospel of Jesus Christ to another person. And those other things help us go forward, but the main thing is still the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe we see here a turning point in the church. A turning point where these men are called out. So he says, I want you to take these seven men in verse number three, and I want, we want to appoint them to this business. Look what he says in verse three. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out from among you seven men of honest report. I think we could take the word honest report here and good reputation, and we could say blameless. And that would be the word that Timothy will use, or Paul will use to describe this office to Timothy, that the deacon would be blameless. 
these men were to operate under the authority of the apostles or the elders here. They were men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, full of truth, blameless. They were ordained by the elders and appointed to the work by the elders. We want you to take this work in hand and we want you to put this work of making sure the Grecians are met their needs and they are cared for, their widows are cared for, their loved ones are cared for. And we want to make sure you do that to help us make sure we don't get off task. Because we have the task that we've been commissioned to of preaching and prayer, of ministry of the word and prayer. We see the focus that comes clear here. We must give ourselves. I love this, the, the implications of here. He says in um, verse number um, four of our text, he said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and ministry of the word. We're going to give ourselves continually to it. You know, I want to say it is very important in the life of a church that pastors, elders, bishops be given the time in a week to be able to patiently and faithfully read Study, pray, and prepare to preach the word. Someone said a long time ago, and I love this statement, it is the job of the pastor to fill the pulpit, not the pew. Now that is not to say that a pastor shouldn't be an evangelist. It's not to say that a pastor should never run a vacuum cleaner. It's not to say that a pastor shouldn't be at a work day and help. But it is to say that the pastor has the primary, primary responsibility of preaching the word and being able to do the ministry of the word. And let me just say, I thank God for a church that sees that as a priority and has made that a priority in our church. And let's make sure we always keep that as something that is a priority. He said they would give themselves to the word and prayer. You know, of all the expectations that we see in Timothy, in 1 Timothy, of the bishop and the deacon, this is the main difference that we see. When you were to track through these things, and oftentimes only one or two of the expectations of a deacon and a pastor rise to the surface. We talk primarily of a pastor uh, being the husband of one wife and a deacon being the husband of one wife. And we put those in the primary role. But actually there's a rather long list of expectations for those men. I think the summary of those men is as we look at that man today, is he blameless in these areas? Is he a one-woman kind of man? Is he a man that is not a brawler, not a fighter? And we look at all of these things, but as you list them out together, the primary distinction is that this pastor be able to teach. It's not the requirement of a deacon that he be able to teach. Now, it is not to say that a deacon cannot teach. As a matter of fact, in our very text this morning, Acts 6, Stephen starts off in the very next verse after we read our text, preaching the word. And I think there are many deacons who are very capable of teaching. We have deacons that serve on our board today that are very capable teachers. And that is, not, that is an added gifting to the office of a deacon, but not a requirement for a deacon. And here we see the primary difference here of the two requirements is that a deacon does not have to be apt to teach, but a pastor should be. Once you see the product of what takes place here. The product is in view here in verse number six or verse number uh, five. They call these men together. The saying pleased the whole multitude. The idea that there was a peace that was settling among them. They chose out these men that were full of faith in the Holy Ghost. Verse number six, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. I love the picture of laying the hands on, commissioning someone to the work. In verse number 7, we see the product in full view. The word of God increased. 
Isn't it interesting that when we take on the roles that God gives us, and we do those roles well, when we handle conflict in a Christ-like way, that the Word of God can increase. It didn't divide. I'd be honest with you, if we were reading these minutes in modern day uh, churches, this would be uh, maybe the precursor to a church split. Well, you didn't do what we wanted you to do, and you didn't meet the need of our widows, and now you're, you're, you're catering to the Hebrew widows. But the apostles called them together, and he said, guys, here's the main thing, the preaching of the word. Let's call some men that are full of the Holy Spirit to come out and help us deal with this issue so that it doesn't have to be an issue anymore. And what happens, the word of God increased. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Hard cases are being won. More word, more disciples, hard battles. All this is taking place because God's people handled conflict in a right way. And God gave the church, I believe, the example and the precursor here in this text of the office of the deacon. What a blessing deacons can be to a local body as they serve and labor inside that local body. You see, when we empower men and ladies to lead and serve, we increase the workforce and we multiply the gospel. You see, what could have divided the body strengthened the body. It spread the gospel, it added disciples, and it reached hard cases because God's grace was evident in the way the problem was handled. Let me make a couple of summary statements this morning, and then we'll sign off here. First off, I want you to see that conflict will come. Conflict is going to come. In this world, you will have tribulation. There is going to be conflict. Here's the reality. Uh, It's the perfect man who does not offend in word, James tells us. People are going to say things that get you upset. People are going to do things that aggravate you. Phone calls will fail to be returned at times. Conflict is going to come. The issue is not does conflict come. The issue is how do we address the conflict when it comes. Let me say again that practical problems have spiritual impact. And so they have to be addressed. They have to be addressed. And they need to be addressed in a way that brings honor and glory to God. And so then, let me say this. This is why God has given us leadership to lead. And trusting that God has called men and called people from our congregation to help lead in these areas of conflict. To bring unity and to encourage and to meet the needs of the members. And to encourage the elders, the bishop, the pastor as he leads forward. Let me say this, seek to solve the problem, not blame. I love this statement. I believe it was in Jim Collins' book. He said, let's do autopsies without assigning blame. I love that thought. Sometimes we need to sit down and figure out what went wrong. But we don't always have to figure out who did wrong. We can let that go. And just say, here's the problem. Here's what's happened. Here's how we can fix it. Now let's go forward. Even in our text, the apostles did not make a big issue about the fact that they were murmuring. He called them together, he showed them what was important, and he called some men out who were full of the Holy Spirit, who were full of wisdom to go and address the issue. And those men were able to do so. Here's my statement I want you to get. Spiritual men and women solve problems. Spiritual men and women solve problems. Carnal men and women stir problems. Spiritual men and women solve problems. Carnal men and women stir problems. See, today, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, 
if we're walking in a way that would show that our hearts are in unity with the Lord, we're not going to stir the problem. We're going to address the problem and solve the problem. And so I challenge us this morning as we think on that final thought I want to give you is let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep the main thing of the church, the tip of the spear, is that we're going with the community of the gospel. Stephen doesn't miss a beat. He walks out of being ordained as a deacon and begins to preach Jesus. And in just a few verses, we're going to see the first martyr was a deacon. Here he is giving his life for the cause of Christ as he lays down. And uh, he lays down his life for the gospel, preaching Jesus, serving the congregation. God has blessed the church with the role of deacon. And it is a great blessing to the church. And I thank God for the men who are serving here, and I'm praying for the men who will serve as we go forward for the next two, three decades, if God give us grace to serve here, of seeing the men that raise up around us from the congregation to help do this work. One great book I read, and it it defined the office of deacon this way, and uh, it's from Nine Marks, and if you're interested in it, but it defined the office of deacon. He said, deacons are shock absorbers for a church. That when there's conflict, there are spirit-filled, godly men who are able to help navigate the conflict instead of letting it be troublesome to the whole body. And thank God for the men God has placed in our church and those that are laboring in that function today all around the world for the glory of God. I wonder if you'd pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we have instruction from it this morning. That, Lord, we can take what is being said, we can apply it to our daily lives. Father, we ask you that you would give us grace as we go forward this week. Uh, Lord, I pray, Father, that, uh, Lord, the emptiness that we feel of not being able to gather together this morning, uh, that, Lord, you would do a work in our heart to fill that, to encourage those that maybe are discouraged this morning. Lord, may there be a phone call or a text or maybe just a a quick uh, FaceTime to someone that might be an encouragement to them this week. Lord, again, we ask you to be with those that are hurting. Lord, we ask you to strengthen them as well. Bless us now as we dismiss in song, in Jesus' precious name.